turn to the Word of God, if you would, to the prophecy of Zephaniah. Zephaniah, you'll find that on page 1003 in the Pew Bibles. It's near the end of the Old Testament. And I'll read chapter 3, the verses 1 through 8. Zephaniah 3, beginning at verse 1. Woe to her who is rebellious and defiled, the oppressing city. She listens to no voice. She accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. Her officials within her are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves that leave nothing till the morning. Her prophets are fickle, treacherous men. Her priests profane what is holy. They do violence to the law. The Lord within her is righteous. He does no injustice. Every morning he shows forth his justice. Each dawn he does not fail. But the unjust knows no shame. I have cut off nations. Their battlements are in ruins. I have laid waste their streets so that no one walks in them. Their cities have been made desolate, without a man, without an inhabitant. I said, surely you will fear me. You will accept correction. Then your dwelling would not be cut off according to all that I have appointed against you. But all the more they were eager to make all their deeds corrupt. Therefore wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day when I rise up to seize the prey. For my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out upon them my indignation, all my burning anger. For in the fire of my jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. Thus far, the reading of God's word. I don't know if you've ever been at a wedding where they're choosing people to participate in a game or skit that you know will be quite embarrassing. So you sit there listening as they call off the names, and every time a name is called and it's not you, you breathe a little bit easier. And when the final name has been called and you realize you've escaped, you exhale with a sigh of relief. Something similar must have been happening in the lives of the people of God in Zephaniah's time. Zephaniah the prophet has been launching these, uh, these descriptions of judgment against all the nations around Israel. He begins in the west with the Philistines, telling them that they are going to be judged. Then he goes east to the Moabites and the Ammonites, telling them that they're going to be judged. Drops down south to the Cushites, they're going to be judged. And then he goes north to the Assyrians and tells them that they too are going to be judged. And as Israel is listening to these woes of judgment against the nations all around them, you can almost hear them say, phew, that was close, we dodged the bullet. But the prophet here would say, not so fast, Israel. Not so fast, Judah. 
because God's judgment isn't only going to happen to the nations around you, but God's judgment is going to fall on you as well. At the beginning of the woe cycle in chapter 2, you see there in verse 5, where the Lord says, Woe to you, inhabitants of the seacoast. Well, here in chapter 3, you have another woe. Woe to her who is rebellious and defiled the oppressing city. And the woe that the Lord announces is the woe against his own people, against the city of Jerusalem. They're the ones who are going to come under the judgment of God. And so this morning we want to look at this announcement of judgment, not just so that we would see what they deserved, but so that we might learn ourselves how we ought to escape the judgment of God. The first thing I want to point out to you is that judgment is coming upon the people of God. As Peter says in 1 Peter 4, as he speaks about the holiness of God, he says, it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. That's the way God arranges things. That not only will the nations, those separate from him, be judged, but even his own people will come under the scrutiny of his judgment. God's people are not exempt from judgment. Just think about what the prophet Amos said uh, to the people of God, that out of all the nations of the earth, God had particularly chosen them. He had called them. He had taken them to himself. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities." Being a member of the people of God is no insurance that you will not be judged by God. This is often the, 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 the point that God's people have, have been drawn to, to think that as long as they are members of God's people, as long as they are unique from all the other nations of the world, no problems, no trouble will come upon them. For instance, in the famous, the temple of the Lord sermon in Jeremiah 7, Jeremiah castigates God's people for this very thing. They thought that they could live any way they wanted and that they were safe because they belonged to God's people. Listen to this. Jeremiah says, will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal and go after other gods that you have not known? And then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered, only to go on doing all these abominations. He says, if that's what you think, then you are horribly deceived. Because it just isn't that way. Just because you are part of God's people does not make you immune from the judgment of God. And if you think that you can live rebelliously and deceptively, and wickedly, and pursue other gods, and then think that you're safe simply because God has chosen you to be his people and has put his temple in the midst of the people, you are sadly mistaken. You are trusting in deceptive words, he says. 
And that has always been the temptation of the people of God, to think that membership somehow protects them from the holiness of God. And the prophet here reminds them that woe comes to God's city, to the place where God has set his name. But having said that judgment begins with the household of God, it's important also to know that that doesn't mean that all who are in the people of God will undergo judgment. There are some within the nation of Israel who are not going to come under the judgment of God because they are faithfully following the Lord. They are trusting in his grace. This is what Zephaniah the prophet calls the remnant of the house of Judah in chapter 2, verse 7, or the remnant of my people in chapter 2, verse 9, or in chapter 3, verse 12, he says that he's going to leave in the midst of this nation a people humble and lowly who seek refuge in the name of the Lord. So there are within the people of God, there always have been, hypocrites, those who do not serve the Lord. But there has always been people who have been devoted to the Lord, who have trusted in the promise of his grace, who have embraced his gospel, and they shall be spared the judgment of God. So though they belong to God's people, and though God's church is going to be judged, they will have refuge and safety in the promises of God's grace in Jesus Christ. So it's important for us to be sure that we are not trusting in our membership, but trusting in the Messiah. That it's not having our name on the role of a church that gives us comfort and security, but knowing the name that is above every name that is given among men by which we must be saved. The only way to escape the judgment of God is by trusting in his grace in Jesus Christ our Lord. And so the prophet Jeremiah, or Zephaniah rather, he announces woe. Well, why does he announce woe? What have the people done to warrant his displeasure? Why is God going to bring judgment upon his people? Well, you might think that the answer is because of their sins. And as you read through the chapter, you recognize that there's a truckload of sins here that the prophet Zephaniah identifies. Just take a look at verse 1, for instance. Woe to her who is rebellious and defiled the oppressing city. One commentator very helpfully says that, that this is descriptive of how all the relationships of Israel are out of sync. With regards to God, they are rebellious, will not submit to him. With regard to themselves, they are defiled. They become polluted and unable to serve the Lord. And then with regard to those around them, they are oppressors. Rebellious to God, defiled within, oppressing those around them. They are, in all of their relationships, under the judgment of God. And then he goes on in verse 4 to 
to list four indictments against the people of God. What, what have they done wrong? Well, he says, and this has contemporary application as well to the church today. Well, what, what was wrong with the people of God? Well, they listened to no voice. Out of all the nations of the earth, it was only Israel who had heard the voice of God as he spoke to them from Mount Sinai, as he gave them his word. He didn't give his word to anyone else. Israel was the privileged people. They're the ones who heard the blessings and curses from Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim in the Old Testament. They heard God's voice. But now, Zephaniah says, they aren't listening to his voice. They aren't obeying him. They're ignoring him. They're shutting their ears to the voice of God. She listens to no voice. She accepts, secondly, no correction. God had been patient with his people. Sometimes he would bring the other nations to come, and they would, with their marauding forces, harass the people of God. Well, it wasn't because the gods of the Syrians or the gods of the Philistines were stronger than Israel's God. That's not why they were given victory over Israel. It was God's chastisement of his people. He was warning them, alerting them, that they needed to be careful. But they would accept no correction. It didn't matter to them. They were headstrong in their disobedience. God would send prophets to them, but they would accept no correction uh, from them either. They were an obstinate people. So they listen to no voice. They accept no correction. They do not trust in the Lord. True religion has always been a matter of a heart, not just a matter of external obedience or conformity to God's law. But these people did not conform to God's law and did not trust in the Lord. And it wasn't because the Lord was unfaithful. No, Zephaniah says there in chapter 3, verse 5, each dawn he does not fail. The Lord has proven faithful. Every time they relied upon him, he didn't crumble before them so that their hopes were dashed, their confidence shaken. No, it had nothing to do with the Lord. It had everything to do with their own self-confidence, their own arrogance. They would not trust in the Lord. And because of the way they despised the Lord, they did not draw near to God. That is, they did not worship him. They did not seek his presence to have communion and fellowship and joy and delight with the God of their salvation. No, they ignored him. They rejected him. And as I said, this, is, this has contemporary application. It is possible to be within the people of God, but to not hear the voice of the Lord Jesus as he calls to us, or the Spirit as he corrects us, to be self-righteous and self-confident rather than casting ourselves upon the mercy of God in Jesus Christ. And because we have not done so, it is possible to be a member of the people of God and, and never really draw near to God. Yeah, you're present in corporate worship, but you're worshiping, as Jesus said to the Pharisees, you're worshiping with your lips, but your heart's are far from God. He indicts the people of God with their sins. And then in verses 3 through 4, 
he shows how deep the rot has gone into the people of God. It's the officials within her are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves that leave nothing till the morning. The civil leaders of the people of God who were to execute justice, who were to protect and to promote the welfare of God's people. Well, well, they've been using the people of God cruelly. They're like ferocious animals destroying God's people. And then the religious leaders, the prophets and the priests, well, they're no better. The prophets tell lies in the name of the Lord. And they use their office for their own gain, their own gain. They're treacherous men. And the priests who were to ensure that godliness prevailed amongst the people of God, well, they profane what is holy. They do violence to the law. It was under the rule of the priests or under the watch of the priests that young children were given to child sacrifice to, to the gods. That cult prostitution was occurring amongst the people of God. These people, these religious leaders have been devastating to God's people. The whole nation is rotten through and through. And if you read through the prophets, both major and minor prophets, you'll recognize that often God judges the religious leaders for misleading the people of God. And why it's so important for you to place yourself under the ministry of God's word that is faithful to the whole counsel of God that, that will tell you the truth as it is in Jesus Christ. Because you don't want to slide into eternal judgment because you haven't heard God's voice speaking with clarity and with conviction. It's not always pleasant for you to hear, nor is it always pleasant for the minister of the gospel to tell you the truth. But we need the truth. Because religious leaders who mislead God's people come under judgment themselves and they ruin God's people. They do not expose their sin, as one of the prophets say. But they tell everyone, peace, peace, when there is no peace. They assure everyone that God loves them just the way they are that there's no need for anyone to be upset, that, that any feelings of guilt, any prickings of conscience, they just need to suppress that because God is love. Don't worry about him. They mislead the people of God. You need men who will be faithful to proclaim everything in the Word of God. Even these passages like Zephaniah 3 that warn the church of the judgment of God. Zephaniah was such a man, one man standing against all the other prophets and calling them to account for their unfaithfulness. So it's important for you to have faithful proclaimers of God's truth, faithful leaders within the church, elders who will be examples to you, who will rebuke and admonish, encourage and strengthen you, but who will speak with you with integrity, who will speak the truth. But it's also important for you to listen to the Word of God with discernment, 
and not just to blindly hear what those who are speaking in the name of God are saying. Because at the end of the day, you are responsible for what you hear. You are responsible to honor God, regardless of what you hear from this or any other pulpit. Remember what Jeremiah the prophet said to the people. An appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule at their direction. You see, there's rot in the leadership. But then he goes on to say, so he castigates, he judges the, the religious leaders. And then he goes on to say, my people love to have it so. So it's, it's not just that religious leaders are misleading God's people. God's people at times want to be misled. They want to be comforted and left comfortable. My people love to have it so, Jeremiah says. And then he ends with this haunting question. But what will you do when the end comes? You cannot stand on the day of judgment and say, well, the minister said it was okay, that I was all right. No, you might have loved to hear that while you were alive. But what will you do when the end comes? And so the people of God were guilty of sin. Sins against God, sins against others, worshiping false gods, engaging in cult prostitution, sacrificing children to idols. They were a desperately sinful people. And you would say, that's why God is bringing judgment on them. But actually, would it surprise you if I said that sin was not the problem? They had sinned, but, but that wasn't the problem. And some of you might be thoroughly encouraged by that. Sin is not the problem. That, that might just ease the weight that you feel, the burden that you feel, because you understand the weight of your sin, and you think, if God were to deal with me according to my sin, I, I could not stand. So what do you mean that sin is not the problem? Others might think, well, great, sin's not the problem. I don't know why I've been worrying about it all the time or, or being bothered by it. I, I should just live the way I want because sin's not the problem. No, that, that wouldn't be the right thing. But the reason I say that sin is not the problem is because if it were the problem, then the hope of salvation would just be tantalizing, but it wouldn't actually be real because we're all sinners. And if, if sin were the problem with us, we would all be under judgment, and, and none of us could be saved. So, so sin can't be the problem. So what is the problem then? Well, the problem is not that Israel sinned. There was a remedy for that. The problem is that Israel failed to repent of their sins. If you look through Israel's history, you'll see countless times they sinned against the Lord. The book of Judges is a classic illustration of that. And just as often, the Lord was gracious and merciful and tender and kind and forgiving 
Sin was not the problem. For sin, there was salvation in Jesus Christ. The problem is when Israel refused to humble themselves before the Lord and to turn from their evil ways and to turn to him and say, we have sinned, show mercy to us. And that's where they are in Zephaniah's day. Notice what Zephaniah says at the end of verse 5. The unjust knows no shame. They have become so hardened, so calloused, that they're not even embarrassed anymore. As one of the other prophets said, my people don't even know how to blush because their arrogance, their sin is so high-handed against the Lord. Or look what he says in verses 6 through 7. And notice, in verses 1 through 5, the prophet is speaking about Israel. And now in verse 6 and 7, the Lord begins to speak. And what does the Lord say? He says, listen, I've cut off nations. Their battlements are in ruins. I've laid waste their streets so that no one walks in them. Their cities have been desolate without a man, without an inhabitant. He says, I've, I've brought judgment on all the nations around you, west and east and south and north. Did you not see what I've done to them? And I did it to them so that you would be saved. He says in verse 7, surely you will fear me, you will accept correction. Then your dwelling would not be cut off according to all that I have appointed against you. He says, my judgment against the nations was because they deserved to be judged, no doubt about it. But I did it publicly in your eyes so that you would not toy with sin, so that you would realize that I'm a God of holiness, and I cannot stand by while people reject my laws. It's like Israel and Judah was a car, and driving a car going down the freeway. And a red light flashes because the engine's overheating. Stop, 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 it's yelling. But then God says that Judah was like a driver who instead of pressing the brake, pressed the accelerator all the more. I don't care what the warning says. I'm going to go for it. And listen to what he says. But all the more they were eager to make all their deeds corrupt. It didn't matter. They saw God leveling the nations around them. And they said, we're safe. No great shakes. We'll just keep going the way we are. We'll be okay in the end. In fact, it emboldened them to sin even more. The problem was not their sin. The problem is not your sin. The problem is not my sin. Thank God the problem is not our sin. The problem is when we refuse to humble ourselves before the Lord and cry out for mercy and turn from our evil ways and embrace grace in Jesus Christ. And so God says to his people, therefore wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day when I rise up to seize the prey. He says, it's settled. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to gather the nations. I'm going to assemble the kingdoms. I'm going to put them in one place. And then I'm going to pour out upon them my indignation, all my burning anger, for in the fire of my jealousy all the earth shall be consumed. It's a terrible 
terrifying words. These are words that ought to make us tremble, make us shudder. Because remember what the prophet had said in verse 5, the Lord within her is righteous. He does no injustice. Every morning he shows forth his justice. Each dawn he does not fail. So that when God, when God announces judgment, there's no one that can say, how unfair is that? Don't you have any sense of right or wrong? How unjust is that, that you would destroy the wicked? No. no. When, when the wicked stand before the judgment seat of God, there will be no arguing. There, there will be no condemning God. And Paul tells us in Romans 3 that they're going to stand there with their mouths shut because they recognize the justice the legitimacy, the rightness of the wrath of God against sinners. So Zephaniah announces judgment against the people of God. But I want to end this morning by reminding you that the reason God announces judgment and threatens with judgment is because he actually wants to show mercy. Just as God punished the nations around Israel with his judgment so that Israel would repent, that, that's, that was God's design. He says, all day long I've held up my hands to a, a wicked people, calling to them to return to him, to repent. Why, why would you perish, he said to his people? So that even as, as God brought judgment on the nations so that his people would repent, God gives us this morning Zephaniah. Not because he wants to be unkind to us, on the contrary, as an expression of his kindness to us. To warn us, to alert us, to alarm us, to unsettle us. So that we might find our refuge in the Lord Jesus Christ. God is kind, even in his judgments. That's the remarkable thing about the Lord. I mean, you, you might look at him and think, he's kind of cruel and harsh, but that would be to misunderstand him. He is so gracious, so gracious in alarming his people, but, but even more gracious in, in giving his son like this is a, just a remarkable thing. You, you hear about the judgment that the wicked deserve, and, and then here comes the Lord Jesus. God becomes man. And he becomes man for this purpose, to take the judgment that the wicked deserve. We sang from Psalm 75 this morning, just prior to the preaching of the Word, because Psalm 75 speaks about this cup that the wicked must drink, this cup of the judgment of God, this, this cup filled with God's wrath. Listen to how it says this. For in the cup of the Lord there is a cup, for in the hand of the Lord, rather, there is a cup with foaming wine well mixed, and he pours out from it. Listen to this. And all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to its dregs. Now just think about our Lord Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, Father, if it's possible, this cup, this cup 
filled with foaming wine well mixed that the wicked must drink? Father, is it possible that I who am righteous, who have served you unstintingly, who have lived in fellowship with you, who, have done, who has done everything that you've asked me to do, is it possible that this cup passes from me because I'm terrified of drinking it? How terrified, so terrified that he collapses in the Garden of Gethsemane, so terrified that he sweats drops of blood, so terrified that he says, my soul is troubled, it's discombobulated. No man feared death like this man. And our Lord Jesus knew exactly what he was drinking when he went to the cross. And he drank that cup so that you don't have to drink that cup. Isn't that just, just most wonderful? So inexpressibly grand. So indescribably great that our Lord Jesus drank the cup of wrath so that we could drink the cup of blessing. And then not only that, so he warns us, he gives us the Lord Jesus, and then he even gives us the grace of repentance so that we fall before the Lord on our knees and say, I have sinned. I make no excuses. There are no mitigating factors. I have sinned, and I deserve your just judgment. But have mercy upon me for the Lord Jesus' sake. And he will, because that's the kind of God he is. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, our God, we rejoice with trembling before you. Because of your holiness, your righteousness, your justice. And we think, if the Lord were not on our side, we would have been swallowed up alive. The torrents of judgment would have gone over us. But blessed be the Lord who has delivered us from our enemies, who has rescued us from our sins, who has delivered us from the wrath of God by giving us his only begotten Son, our dear Lord Jesus Christ. Draw us to the Savior, we pray, and give us your Spirit that we might cherish our Lord Jesus more and more each day and long for that day when we will see him and see him fall before him in joyful worship because by his blood he has redeemed us from our sins. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.